0: So you've been going through a series of the Gospel of Luke. And this week I want to zoom in on a text... ...that's outside of the Gospel of Luke. But I think may in fact echo the words of Jesus from Luke 13. Jesus in Luke nine fifty one, Luke tells us... ...set his face to go to Jerusalem. That is he determined to go to Jerusalem... ...to suffer and then to to die and rise again. And in the passage that Joe read for us this morning from the end of Luke 13... ...Jesus says, reporting to Herod... ...I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the next day... ...for a prophet should not die outside of Jerusalem... Wherever Jesus determines to go, he goes in submission to the will of the Father. And wherever Jesus, whatever Jesus determines to do, he does in submission to the will of the Father. But what about us? Do we have the power like Jesus to go where we want to go and to live as we want to live? And to do what we want to do. Well hear now this echo from the book of James. Our text this morning. From James chapter 4 verses 13 through 17. I'm going to be sharing from the ESV. Feel free to follow along in whatever version you're using. Come now you who say. Today or tomorrow. Tomorrow. We will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. James begins... Come now, you who say. This is a common form of rhetoric. It's called by scholars diatribe. And what James is doing, and he's done this already in chapter 2, and he'll use this phrase again in chapter 5, verse 1, is he's presenting the hypothetical words of conversation partners. But he's not just pulling this out of the blue, out of thin air. He actually knows very well the spiritual needs of the churches in the diaspora to whom he is writing. And so he presents what he understands to be their worldview. He says, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade ...and make a profit. Now who are these people that they had the power and the resources just to uproot... ...probably without their families and travel and spend a year in another city to do business and to make a profit? Well we do know from James's letter that he was writing to churches that included both the rich and the poor. He says... The poor person should boast in their exaltation and the rich person should boast in their humiliation. And so there's a mixed group of those who have and those who do not have. And James is now honing in on those who have. Perhaps these were wealthy Jewish priests. This is one theory of the audience to whom James is writing. We don't know this for sure. But we do know that they use four predictive future verbs. Notice, we will go into such and such a town. And then the next verb is, we will spend a year there. The next verb, we will trade. And the next verb, we will make a profit. Four predictive future verbs. Now, is James against going? traveling living doing business and making a profit he's not in fact in the opening of chapter four he talks about desires and these desires that are twisted for ungodly ends so that you may fulfill your passions He says, you don't ask God. In other words, you should ask God, just like you should ask God for wisdom in James 1. You should ask God to fulfill your desires. So James is not against the desires that we have in our hearts to go, to travel, to live, to do business, to make a profit. Rather, he's against presumptuous planning. That is, desires... ...to do these things, presuming we have the strength in our own ability to do them. And this is what James is attacking. So he goes on to say, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. And for how many of us has this become our new refrain The last two years we've experienced perhaps for most of us uh, something that we've never uh, could have imagined or experienced in our world. And how many of us, I'm just curious if you would raise your hand, uh, have planned to travel, go somewhere James says, uh, to live, to do some form of business. ...or to make a profit. And if you would just raise your hand... ...if you plan to travel, live, do business... ...or make a profit these last, this last year and a half. Well, I think half of you are lying to me... ...because you didn't raise your hand. So, James says, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. In other words, you do not know... ...that you can travel, live, do business and make a profit, because the future events of your life are ambiguous. Now, we have uh, scientists, some would tell us, we should focus on making zoonotic risk predictions. How many of you are making zoonotic risk predictions today? (laughs) This means we should try to identify the next pathogen ...that could transfer from animals to humans and cause infectious diseases. Well, there are other scientists, for example, in a peer review article... uh, ...by some scientists out of the University of Sydney. They would argue that this is a waste of our time. Because it's of little value, it does not identify for us... ...which virus will emerge to cause the next... But didn't James already say this? Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. And so maybe we're not tempted this afternoon to pour a cup of coffee and kick back and make some zoonotic risk predictions. But we do need to be cautious about trying to manipulate our own circumstances. Or maybe even about using a form of divination to predict the future. Now, you might say, well, divination, nobody here uses divination. I looked up the Wikipedia article on this, and there are over 270 known and used methods of divination today. Uh, and this is people who want to determine the future. So, in the old country, my father's from Syria. Uh, They used to take a a cup of Turkish coffee. And if you've had Turkish coffee the grounds are very thick. And we sit around with our local neighbors and we drink drink a variety of this. And the fortune teller will take your cup and will flip it upside down. And allow the grounds to trickle down the edge of the cup. And then flip it back and observe the formation of the grounds to predict your future. Well, maybe you're not tempted to flip over your coffee cup this afternoon. But beware of rearranging your life in such a way that you think you can control your destiny. The rest of your life, your outcomes. You're not the master of your fate. You're not the captain of your soul. Because you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Uh, But not only is our ability to travel and live and do business and make a profit called into question by the ambiguity of future events. It's also called into question by the transitory nature of our lives. So James says... What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. This word mist is a rare word in the Bible. It can refer to breath or steam. But in fact the uses in the Greek Old Testament. That is the scriptures that the New Testament authors used. And also in the only other place ...where this word is found in the New Testament in the book of Acts. This word mist refers in those contexts to a vapor of smoke coming from a fire. And so this is probably what James has in mind. In fact he's talked about a fire in chapter 3 where our words can set a forest on fire. And then again in chapter 5 he says uh, precious metals that are melting... ...in the fire will burn their owners. So imagine a fire and the smoke rises and you can just picture it in your mind. How quickly that smoke vanishes before our eyes. Or if the wood is wet, then you have water vapors... ...in addition to the smoke that arise out of the fire. And yet they too vanish before your eyes... I get a kick out of hearing stories of students, hopefully none of you uh, have done this, uh, that attempt to vape while they're in class. And who are these students that think that they can get away with this? And who are these teachers that are so oblivious to students vaping in the middle of class? I'm not sure how this works, but the image is very clear, right? The vapor of smoke vanishes... So quickly. And that's what James says our life is like. Our life is like a vapor of smoke that vanishes. Now the existentialists take this and they say your life is so transitory and absurd it is meaningless. Don't try to find any meaning in your life. It's a grand waste of time. Franz Kafka put it this way. The meaning of life is that it ends. (laughs) Now, James is not saying life is a vapor of smoke, therefore it is meaningless. Rather, James is saying life is a vapor of smoke, therefore live your life under the sovereign one. So he goes on to say, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills. Now, the Roman philosopher and actually contemporary of James, Seneca, he wrote something very similar... And he described the wise person who, before setting out to do uh, business and before setting out to travel, would always take into account potential impediments that would stop this wise person from completing his mission. And where we live, we have a phrase, and some of you know this even here, Inshallah, Inshallah, in Arabic. And it means, if God... ...wills or God willing. Now, this phrase, it's quite comical, the broad use of its meanings. If you say to your friend, uh, I will meet you tomorrow at Starbucks at 9 a.m. Your friend might say, inshallah, uh, God willing. Which could mean he or she has written it down in their I calendar... And barring some catastrophe, they will be there tomorrow at 9 a.m. Or it could mean they've got it in their head and they're going to try to be there if they can. Or it could mean they will not be there. (laughs) But they're going to say inshallah because they want to save face to give you the impression that they're going to try to be there. And if they don't show up, it's because God kept them in bed. Now, how many of us have our own version of this? I hope we don't abuse this phrase from James, if the Lord wills, Lord willing. Lord willing, we will eat ice cream later today. Or Lord willing, my teacher will be compassionate on me because I forgot to save my paper. And uh, God willing, I will find it, it's somewhere in the cloud. (laughs) But what does James mean? If the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, James calls himself a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Messiah. It's that Lord. It's the Lord who gives wisdom liberally, it's the Lord who punishes the oppressor and raises up the afflicted. It's the Lord who lifts up the humble. It's the Lord who showed compassion to Job and restored him. It's the Lord who hears the faith prayers of his people and heals them. If that Lord wills. If the Lord wills. Or maybe more simply in our modern day use of the language. If the Lord wants. Now this is not his revealed will, that is, what he has clearly made known to us in the scriptures. How we should live our lives in holiness and love, how we should trust in the life and death and resurrection of the Son of God as our only hope for life and death. No, this is not the revealed will of God, nor is this the Spirit's will In leading us to go to specific places to make known the gospel. To advance the kingdom of God. For example in Acts chapter 8 the spirit said to Philip. Go over to that chariot. This is not the spirit's will per se. But this is what we might call the sovereign will of the Lord. Whereby God... ...allows us or blocks us from carrying out our intentions. It's God's will whereby he accomplishes his sovereign purposes in our lives. And we cannot know this sovereign will of God in advance. If the Lord wills. We will live. Now this is textbook biblical theology... How many verses could we recite among us even just from the Old Testament which James often draws upon that teach us if the Lord wills, we will live. Psalm 31. My times are in your hands. Psalm 139. All of my days were written in your book, before one of them came to be. And some of us here this morning know this reality profoundly and deeply as we've lost loved ones, grandparents, parents, maybe even children in the last year and a half especially. We know that our times are in your hands, oh God. If the Lord wills we will live and do this or that. Now notice the shift from what James said in verse 13 the kind of presumptuous planning that was very specific to and do this or that. I think what this reveals to us about the mind of James here in this passage is that he really is not against planning to do business planning to travel hoping to live, and so forth. No, he is against presuming that we have the power in our own ability to do anything. All of our life, every breath we take, every action we do, is actually under the sovereign will of the Lord. Whether we acknowledge it or not. If the Lord li- wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So don't let these words of boasting and arrogance now allow you to check out and say, well, I I really don't go around talking about myself. Uh, I'm not an arrogant person to exempt you from the reality that this does apply to you. Because these words, to boast, and this word arrogance, simply means, boasting means, uh, taking pride in your own ability or in the... In the ability of somebody you're connected to. Such as your children. For example. And arrogance is actually in the plural. In the Greek text. And it means something like pretensions. That is your intentions. To impress others. Around you. Now. Who here has not. At least once. Wanted others to think well of you. To think highly of you. To think well of your. Wealth or your power or your wisdom. And so James says that kind of boasting is not just like what Seneca would say. Unwise to boast about your presumptuous planning. No, it's fundamentally evil. And whoever knows the right thing to do in the context that would refer back to saying... Having the mantra of your life be, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. That's the right thing to do. But if we fail to do that, for us it is sin. So what is our response to sin, James says. In his letter he says we should confess it to God and to one another. And receive God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ. But also, we should seek to turn sinners from their way. This is the very last words of the book of James. And in so doing, we will rescue their soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Have you thought about lovingly turning those who are planning presumptuously? Away from their sinful ways. Because if we're here this morning. And if we're honest. I know I have planned presumptuously. Over the last year and a half. And if we're honest. With what James says. That presumptuous planning is evil. It's sin. Then we not only confess it. But we also Spur one another on to live life underneath the sovereign one. There was a day when I planned presumptuously about a year and a half ago, just before COVID hit, in fact. We were in our country where we live and we serve. And we were planning to go eat stone-fired pizza with our good friends... ...at a restaurant that overlooks an inlet of water that's connected to the Arabian Gulf, also known as the Persian Gulf. And we had this all planned out we were very excited to do this. But our kids, some of them were playing on the playground. And interestingly this playground had turf and underneath the turf was cement. So the turf gave the impression of being soft and... Uh, able to break your fall. But in fact, it was just cement. And so our son, Ty, sitting here this morning, uh, attempted a marvelous Spider-Man maneuver. <laughs> and instead of Webb extending from his wrists uh, and flying, uh, Ty landed with both of his hands on the ground and also his forehead And he broke both of his arms. And he scraped up his forehead. And as we look back on this event. We now see very clearly. It wasn't just Murphy's Law. It wasn't just that Ty is not Spider-Man. And it wasn't just that gravity was impersonally sucking Ty down toward the earth. But rather... That in the sovereign will of God, he allowed Ty to break his arms. And to go through a process of healing that took months of dependence upon others. And what we found is that God showed his goodness toward Ty through the fact that uh, the friends we were going to eat lunch with that day included two medical doctors And two nurses including Leslie. So they knew exactly what to do to get him to the hospital. We had great compassionate and wise surgeons. Three surgeries Ty underwent. And through that process Ty has regained full mobility of both of his arms. But we also saw God's hand in Ty's life spiritually. Because you see Ty was our boy. ...of our five kids who most questioned God. And who most questioned Jesus and his person and in his work. And through this process, Ty's heart began to soften. And there was a day when Ty came to Leslie and said, Mom, I believe in Jesus... And so it wasn't in God's sovereign will for us that day to eat pizza with our friends. But it was in his sovereign will to allow our son to experience excruciating pain. And yet to do something absolutely beautiful in Ty's life. And so tomorrow morning when you wake up If you have a planner. Or maybe it's just all jumbled in your head. Or maybe it's on a scratch piece of paper. As you read through your plans for tomorrow. Just echo the words of James. If the Lord wills. I will live and do this. Or. In the same spirit, you can echo the words of Jesus when you get there in your uh, sermon series on Luke chapter 22. In the garden, Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done. Singles, as you dream and as you strive to fulfill your God-given passions and gifts in this life... Raise your hands to the heavens and declare, not my will, but yours be done. And couples, as you struggle together with jobs and the composition of your family, your children. As you struggle with where you should live. As you struggle with how you should serve in the church and outside the church. Grab each other's hands and pray, not our will, but yours be done. Let's pray together. Sovereign Lord, we acknowledge with James this morning that our power to travel. To live, to do business, to make a profit is completely contingent upon your sovereign will. And so we ask for your grace to make it our refrain, our habit throughout the day to just exclaim with James and with Jesus, not our will but yours be done. In the name of our sovereign Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.